Hey y'all, welcome to Beyond Consulting, the podcast dedicated to helping listeners navigate a career after consulting. I'm Stephen Haug, host of Beyond Consulting and director at ECA Partners. Each week on the podcast, we host folks who have spent some time in consulting, but have since made a career pivot or a change. Before we get started, I want to thank ECA Partners for sponsoring Beyond Consulting. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in former consultants and private equity. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Gummerson, president of NDS and former senior consultant at Fain & Company. Mike, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Yes, yeah, Stephen. I appreciate you inviting me and look forward to the discussion. Mike, we've been excited to have you on here. Certainly do want to dive into your current position, but before we get into what you're up to today, do you mind if we rewind and get an overview of your career? Sure, yeah, happy to do that. And it's been quite a twisting and turning road. So for me, it's been fascinating. And just being part of this has caused me to reflect back and again, look forward to the discussion. But I'll go back a little bit to my schooling. I had an undergraduate degree in economics at Princeton, uh, ran a startup company right after Princeton, went to Stanford Business School, and then from there worked at Bain for four years, one year out in California and then three years in Boston, and got to the point where I basically was very jealous of our clients and I wanted to be on that side of the picture and pursued a search and landed a job at Campbell Soup where I worked for the CEO heading up strategic planning. So it was a pretty big job and I was very young at the time. And part of the path there was to come in in that role, help the CEO with the board of directors, and then transition into a line management role, which I did. So over the course of the six years that followed my three years working for him directly, I ran various product lines at Campbell Soup, finishing off with things like V8, SpaghettiOs, Campbell pork and beans, Campbell tomato juice, a lot of products that everyone would be familiar with. I left Campbell's and joined a uh, company called Aramark, large managed service company, again, recruited in or by the CEO to serve in a corporate role before rolling out into a line management role. I ended up running their magazine and book business out here in Los Angeles. That got sold. I then joined a private equity-backed company called Intellisys Group that designs and installed multi-audiovisual uh, systems for corporations, conference rooms, network operating centers. That business also got sold, and we can talk about this. It was also part of a bankruptcy, which was an interesting experience. And based on my experience working for a PE-based company, I uh, then did two years of consulting because my goal was to really become CEO of a PE-backed company. And at the end of two years, I got recruited into this position at NDS. We were owned by Grand Partners at the time. Went through an exit in 2014. We were acquired by a German company. And it was just going to be a couple of years, and I'm still here. So it's been a long run here, uh, 20 years, if you can believe that. And so that's where I sit today. So as you can see, it was not a linear path at all. A lot of twists and turns to it. Thanks for that, Mike. It seems like you really jumped into a leadership position very early on in your career. And I do want to get to some of the decisions you made moving away from consulting from Bain into a, a large corporation like Campbell Soup. But before we get to that, something you said was particularly interesting to me was you really wanted to work for a private equity backed business. What was it about those kinds of businesses that made them attractive to you? Well, having worked for a few very large publicly held companies, and in the middle there, I didn't mention I was at Bell Atlantic for four months. <laughs> that was a, a bad experience, a bad choice on my part. 
which again, we can talk about later if that makes sense. But I saw a very big difference between being part of a PE bag company versus being part of a publicly held company. My experience with PE is it's very simple. It's all about growing the value of the business, making the business better than when you got there. And I love that simplicity. You know, when I say it was simple, it's not necessarily easy, but I had the pleasure of working with some terrific and for some terrific private equity owners that were just great to work for. Going back to your days at Bain, one thing I'm always curious about is whenever folks join consulting, they seem to be in two groups. Either they plan to be a partner, you know, that's their goal from day one, or they see it as a two, three-year foundation that they're building, and then they plan to move on from there. What was your mindset whenever you joined Bain? I didn't really have a long-term plan. It was, I think at the time when I was graduating from Stanford, the consulting firms, BCG, Bain, McKinsey, I think they hired a third of the class. And I had the advantage or fortune of being hired as a summer intern at Bain. I loved the experience and got an offer at the end of that summer to join Bain, which I was thrilled to do because, again, I really enjoyed the summer. And it was just a terrific learning environment with a lot of really talented, smart people. Are there any projects that still stand out to you from your time at Bain? I'm kind of smiling as you're asking that. There was a lot of diversity. Back then, we were generalists, so we got the opportunity to work a lot of different stuff. I did work at Baxter Travanol. I spent a week in the basement of Herman Hospital in Houston, Texas, cutting up IV bags. Actually, I didn't do the cutting up, but you know, just tracking waste. That was interesting. I uh, did work for Chrysler. We did a uh, dealership profitability study. And what was kind of interesting there was there was no correlation between size and profitability. It had a lot more to do with the dealers that were successful in simplifying their offering. That was the key. And they really shouldn't have been a bank client. Worked for a $5 million revenue company that designed equipment to put designs on T-shirts. And... <laughs> And uh, we would literally have meetings in the dining room of the CEO down in Old Salem, North Carolina. That was very different and uh, a lot of fun. That's funny. I don't hear many uh, $5 million businesses that are, are working with Bain these days. No, they, and they shouldn't have been at that time. I, uh, so, yeah, it was, again, a terrific experience. And I'll tell you the thing I took away, which has stuck with me, the power of analytics and digging in and really understanding what drives the business and making decisions with facts. The other is a philosophy of making sure you're delivering 10 times the client's fees and, and value created. So at an early point in my career, that was really instilled in me is, again, this idea that you're there to make the business more valuable. And it's probably another reason that the private equity environment was so appealing to me, because that's exactly what the objective is in that world. I want to spend some time thinking about your transition out of Bain. You mentioned that you uh, seen what your clients were working on and wanted to be a part of that. Was there anything in particular that stood out about Campbell's that made you decide to go with them? Well, the opportunity was uh, unique in terms of being able to work for the CEO directly, but Campbell's was a $4 billion company at the time. And I love the brand. And throughout my career, I've always look to work for leaders in their industries, highly reputable companies, leaders with strong branded products or services. And 
the other aspect of it was the CEO was just looking for me to do that for a couple of years and then roll out into a line management role, which is exactly what I wanted to do. So it seemed like just a perfect situation. And you were there for about eight years and held, goodness, what is it, about four different roles? Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it was about nine years and yes, four roles. That's correct. Tell us a bit about those. You know, I don't know that I think this could be a really interesting path for a lot of consultants, uh, you know, well-known brand there and always opportunity to generate value in those larger companies, lots of tools at your disposal or some of the projects you worked on. Yeah. So I'll uh, mention one thing that I've experienced just since the audience for this is people are in consulting. Now, the thing that I found was really valued by not just the CEO of Campbell Soup, but later on in my career as well, was that consulting background and the analytics, the intelligence, the strategic take on things that benefited me greatly uh, at several points during my career as an entree into opportunities. At Campbell's, the first three years were running strategic planning. It was a very small team. It was very unique because I presented at most board meetings. The uh, CEO was really looking for me to help him with his board. He was a guy that had really created Pepperidge Farm from nothing. You know, I loved him. He was very creative, very growth oriented, but not sophisticated. And uh, the board was really looking for a degree of sophistication. And that's what he was relying on me on. So I had all kinds of opportunities to interact with the board, go on board retreats. It was, I mean, I was 29 or 30 at the time. So it was really, really unique. I then transitioned to running the dry soup portion of Campbell Soup, which is a really small business. I think we were doing 30 million in sales, but we were losing, I don't know, five to $10 million. So the business really needed some work. And uh, I did that for three years and it was exciting. It was fun. It was a big challenge. We had a plant in Ohio. It was fun to be part of that. It included trips to Korea, where some of our major competitors came from, uh, Singapore, where you know we ended up acquiring a ramen noodle company, and Japan, where I actually took the initiative to basically set up meetings with the heads of our competitors. And these were ramen noodle manufacturers, which were at the time growing very rapidly. We ended up basically bringing that business to break even and tripling the size and you know, on the basis of that, I got moved over to what they call the ready-to-serve soup business, which was Chunky Soup, Campbell's Home Cooking, and some other product lines. And the thing that was so interesting to me there and such a great learning experience was more classical product management, advertising, just a great experience there leading some very well-known brand, terrific learning experience. And then on the basis of that, got promoted to run what they called the grocery sector, which is the business I mentioned earlier, which had all these really well-known branded products in them. And then I ended up leaving about a year into that experience. Any reason why you decided to leave Campbell Soup? Yeah, well, that was one of the turns in my career, which wasn't my decision, actually. So that that was very interesting. It was, uh, they went through a reorganization and basically my business got folded into one of the other sector heads, just the long and the short of it was. And there was a bit of politics involved. And I mean, for me, again, one of my affinities to private equity is I'm not oriented towards politics. It's not a game I play that well. It's not a game I'm interested in playing. And I was focused 100% on making the business better and not paying as much attention, I think, to what was going on internally in the organization. I don't know whether that would have made a change, but that's basically what prompted my departure. 
Whenever you joined Campbell's Soup, you mentioned that there are a lot of things in your consulting toolkit that you could leverage very effectively in that company. Were there any gaps that you discovered in your toolkit whenever you started working for Campbell? There's a practical element to strategy that I didn't fully appreciate. And that is coming from an organization, Bain, that prides itself on implementation of strategy so that the value is realized by clients. I remember sitting with the CEO uh, when I was in the strategic planning role, and they were having a leadership problem in uh, the UK. And I was thinking, okay, I'll put my hat in the ring. I'll, you know, I'll say, and I went to him. I said, yeah, listen, I'll, hey, put me in there, and uh, you know, we'll get things turned around. And I don't know what I said, six months or something. <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he says, no, this is not, this is not going to take six months. And if there's one thing that I kind of learned over my career is that, well, let me put it this way. I came out of consulting thinking that strategy was uh, kind of the big thing, right? And if you're good at strategy, that's all you need. And with my line experience, I learned eh, it's important to have strategy, but if you can't execute and lead organizations to execute, you're not going to get what you are trying to get. And the business isn't going to be successful. And I really learned that the day-to-day -day execution, leadership, management, in most cases, Trump's strategy. I mean, if I had to choose one over the other, it would be the execution. And clearly you need to have a direction you're heading in. You need to have a thought process around how you're gonna win in the market, but a sophisticated strategy is worthless without effective execution. And that requires effectiveness in leading people, cross functions inside the company, outside the company. And I did not have an appreciation for that aspect of leading businesses successfully. A lot of the consultants we speak with whenever they're thinking about leaving consulting, they're worried in part because their resume looks extremely good at that point. Like yourself, right? You were college athlete, Stanford, not a single blemish on the resume. Leaving consulting is an opportunity for a mistake there. And you mentioned that you did join a company, not right after Bain, but at one point that didn't go as planned. Would you mind telling us a bit about that? Yeah, not at all. I would say uh, from my standpoint, I really wasn't thinking about my resume. I was thinking more about where I wanted to take my career and the uh, lots of learning in that experience that you talked about. I joined a private equity backed audiovisual integrator called Intellisys Group. They were growing incredibly quickly. I had gotten connected to the CEO by a mutual friend. It was right after I left the magazine and book business out here in Los Angeles area. And the situation was that this CEO, he was a majority owner, the PE firm was a minority owner. And very simply, there was a lack of due diligence on my part, I would say. And you know, you look back and you see how much could I have seen, how much could I have not seen. But the nail in the cough, well, there were two issues really. One was the month I joined, the company went live on a new ERP system. And it was a complete disaster it was not executed well. And I'd had some conversations with some folks that knew the company, knew the CEO, and he made some mentions about the poor information systems, the lack of good execution in the company. And I didn't connect the dots really on that. And then secondly, and I didn't learn this until I got in there, the, the CEO was really on a mission to go public. He had previously been CEO of uh, Harmon Carden had been let go and uh, it was almost like he had a point to prove and he was not paying attention to how the company was running and it was growing very rapidly 
the organization was dysfunctional. The sales team basically ran everything. And that was another nuance that I hadn't really done enough due diligence into. And I had relied on other people's recommendations who spoke very highly of the CEO and the situation. And the long and the short of it is I didn't see a P&L for two years. We had someone sabotage the IT systems. In fact, it was the IT director who held us hostage because he owned some outside companies that he was buying products from. And when we stopped paying our bills on time because of the ERP system issues, his company was affected. And then he took the system down. And anyway, so that was another experience. It was just, it was a crazy two years. And at the end of it, the bank basically took over, got lost patients. They took over, they kicked the private equity people out, they kicked the CEO out, and then they put me in as CEO. And I was responsible for leading the company through that phase of a prearranged bankruptcy sale, which we completed over the course of four months. So it wasn't an experience I would have chosen to go into, but boy, the learning, uh, and it was very painful to go through, but the learning coming out, out of that was just incredible. Was there any particular learnings that you've taken away with that that have stuck with you throughout your career? I actually put a chart together and I call my hierarchy of success. And it's making sure you have the right things in order before you go to the next step. So first and foremost, cash flow. You have to tend to the cash flow of your business and make sure that it's positive. Second, you've got to ensure that your organization has strong execution that provides excellent service to your customers and internal effectiveness across functions. Thirdly, make sure your business is profitable. And then fourthly, then you've got permission to turn on the engines and drive growth. But you get those things in the wrong order. My experience is you're headed for a, uh, a train wreck. For the past nearly two decades at this point, you've been leading NDS. Do you mind telling us a bit about the company and about that story? Sure. This is uh, another company that when I got exposed to it, I thought, geez, what a fantastic opportunity. Our business is manufacturing and selling landscape drainage solutions, landscape irrigation solutions, and also some products for the landscapes. Uh, we're not that well known outside of our industry, but within our industry, the brand name is just fantastic. We're known for high quality, high service. And we're in every retail, big box outlet in the country, Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, every distributor that serves the landscape contractor. We have products in every one of their branches. So we have this tremendous brand, tremendous presence, and very <laughs> dysfunctional when I joined. And the dysfunction came from being a collection of six or seven acquisitions that had never been integrated. The other thing that got me really excited about the opportunities, I had lunch with a very large landscape firm. And when I had lunch with this guy, he said, you joined a great company because every home in America has a drainage problem. So great brand. It needed some work internally. Uh, it was actually profitable at the time and then great opportunity to grow the company. So it was, and private equity owned it. It hit a lot of check marks for me in terms of being a great opportunity. Are there any major accomplishments that you've helped the company achieve that you would share with us? Well, it's been 20 years, so there's a lot that's occurred over the course of 20 years. Some of the basic blocking and tackling, I mean, we basically took six dysfunctional organizations and we've created one unified, professionally run organization. We put a lot of emphasis and effort into that. The other thing that I put a lot of attention 
to, which I think is a little bit unique, is culture and building a culture that's team-based, performance-based, based on mutual respect and trust internally, and ultimately delivering value for our shareholders by delivering tremendous value for our customers. And you know, with that being our compass. And then over the course of the years, we've pivoted several times. We've dramatically changed the amount of plastics from virgin to non-virgin. We've gone from all, all old machines to all new molding machines. We've gone from selling through independent manufacturers reps to our own sales force. And we've built a very strong digital business over the years because one of the things we've learned is we have a powerful opportunity to educate the market because the market generally isn't aware of our products. So it's been an interesting experience because it's only going to be three or four years. And lasting 20 years is different than four years because you really need to be pivoting every three or four years because you'll do something that then propels you for the next three or four years and then the returns start diminishing. So you've got to stay on top of what's going on and be totally open to changing, even doing things that run counter to what previous beliefs were. Mike, I can tell you for a lot of my private equity clients at ECA, we're helping them find CEOs for their portfolio companies. Your profile stands out as, as an excellent fit for many businesses. So I'm sure that you're contacted quite often for new opportunities. What has kept you at NDS for almost 20 years at this point? Yeah, there's been a couple of things there. So first of all, our exit from private equity to our German owners took 11 years. <laughs> and so I was going to stick with it through exit. That was the plan. And there were lots of reasons that the exit didn't happen before then. We had a debt market that went sideways. We had the housing downturn. We had the recession. Then we had one sale process that got aborted because the buyer wanted to retrade the deal the week of signing. But long and short of it, so from 2003 to 2014, it was private equity owned and then had uh, special incentives for the first two years under the public ownership Norma Group. And what has kept me is two things. One, the business is just a terrific business. It's one of the best businesses I've ever come across in my life. I really enjoy it. It's got tremendous potential. Our owners have invested aggressively in a way that the previous private equity owners weren't able to. And we've grown very successfully and it's been fun leading the organization. And in combination with that, I haven't to this point really seen something come up on the outside that would match the attractiveness of the opportunity. There have been other opportunities that I've come across, but this one has remained the one that has been the most attractive to me. I know you shared lots of advice throughout our conversation here. You achieved a lot of success in your career. So I know that our listeners really value your thoughts. Is there any other advice that you would give somebody who is maybe currently a consultant and thinking about that next move in their career? Well, I think, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about, Stephen, is some of the very important learnings that I went through because I went through a lot of short steps and you start looking back and you go, okay, at some point, it's you, it's not, you know, the situation you're in. And candidly, there were things I needed to work on for myself. And, you know, that's one thing that I would put out there as advice, which is have a high level of self-awareness. You know, what your blind spots are, what changes you need to make, you know, what do you need to learn? You know, be humble. For me, I had to stop knowing. 
I had to stop trying to force things. I had to do a lot more listening. I had to make sure that I was aligned with the people I worked for and not pursuing my own agenda and really understanding that I'm here to serve others, whether it's the owners, whether it's the customers. And as a result, I need to listen and align and focus on doing what's right, not being right. So I had a lot of these these blind spots that they weren't the whole reason for some of the multiple changes I had over the years, and but they contributed to it. And there was one piece of advice that really sticks with me that happened early on with my experience here at NDS. I came in, obviously, I'd had a number of very frustrating experiences, disappointing experiences for me. And, you know, I was running this company and I was determined to do a good job here. And Grand Partners had an operating partner who was very active. That was his job. And there was a point early on where I felt like, geez, he's got to let me do what they're paying me to do. And I was going to call Grand Partners and say that to them. And then I was talking to someone and the guy said, listen, why don't you just listen to what he has to say? Maybe it will help you. And that was like a light bulb going off for me. And from that point forward, I always listened to him. I didn't always do exactly what he was suggesting, and he never told me what to do. But I listened and reflected, and in the early days, it required a lot of biting my tongue and just waiting 24 hours to reflect on what he said. And so that is one thing that I learned very powerfully, and it's been a a game changer for me. And even today, it can be hard to listen to opposing points of view as opposed to being you know, curious about, okay, well, why is this person saying that? And what am I maybe missing that this person is seeing? That would be a big piece of advice that I'd put out there. Mike, I appreciate that. And I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks so much for joining us here on Beyond Consulting. Yeah, this was great, Stephen. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate it being part of it. 